Welcome to Industry Leaders Journey, where we explore the lives and careers of conscious leaders who are making a positive impact on this world while they transform the supply chain and procurement business. My name is Su Shem. What is one common thing between a robbery scene in old Western movies and a computer hacking scene in futuristic sci-fi movies? It's a bank. Let's find out how procurement plays a role in securing your savings and personal data from the CPO of the largest UK bank. Let's begin this journey. Hi, George. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Sue. Good to see you again. Yes. And you know, George, uh, I realized that um, you have done our pet chat exactly a year ago. It was the beginning of COVID, I remember. I, it's so good to have you back. And for those people who are listening and wondering what is Patchat, <laughs> this is, I guess, a precursor of our Industry Leaders Journey podcast, but it was a procurement and technology chat with Pat McCarthy. And um, people will check it out And because we had a really good discussion in the Patchat about the George and the digital transformation. So I'm really happy to follow up here and talk about a little bit of a deeper dive on the industry and then what happened since one year because the world has changed a little bit (laughs) so what have you been doing since one year since lockdown and then have you found any special like new habits or new way of appreciating the new world (laughs) yeah I think um, I'm still at home I'm still in the same office we've not been back in yet Uh, things are slightly relaxing now in the UK so hopefully in the next month I'll be able to get in the office and, and meet up some of the team I think one of the things I've appreciated is time uh, and in terms of how to make better use of it. The commute time is now probably equally split between doing more work, but also taking more time with the family. Uh, Perspective has changed a lot. We got our family puppy since I last spoke to Pat, uh, who's now coming up to his first birthday. So that's been great to get me out and about. And, And one of the habits I've started is walk and talk. I think in the past, when you were on a call, you were always conscious about background noises, birds tweeting, people saying hello. Now it's just normal. So I do it with my direct reports or extended you know, one-to-ones uh, into the organization. And I really encourage people to get out and about. And one of the other key things is breaks. Give yourself specific breaks. I always try and get at least 30 minutes away from the phone, the computer, just to recharge the batteries. Otherwise, you, you could fall out of bed, sit at your PC, never leave it before you know it, it's dark. Yeah. So um, some things there that you know have really helped me get through this. Sue. Yeah, that's so true. Like I think uh, as long as we can really be more self-conscious about uh, managing ourselves, uh, we can be definitely more productive. But it can go the other way quickly too, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. And managing your mental health through this is is really important. Yeah. Um, some of my colleagues, unfortunately, are, are living in more isolated conditions. They're maybe on their own. They're in a bed sit. They don't necessarily have space, you know, to, to have a comfortable office. So we're very thoughtful that COVID has not landed equally for everyone. But we try and overcome some of these issues by furnishing them with, you know, additional kit. Um, but just being thoughtful as to how everybody turns up to work in a COVID time and recognise it's different and, and just work through that. Yeah, looking forward to the improvement after this uh, pandemic. <laughs> in yes, very true. Uh, let's talk about the Lloyd Bank, because uh, I think it's the largest UK bank, right? Yeah, Lloyd's has been about. So Lloyd's Banking Group um, in various guises is well over 300 years old. Mm-hmm. And you've got iconic brands in there, like a relationship with consumer customers, Bank of Scotland, Halifax, Lloyd's Banking Group. If you're in the UK, you will know about these brands. 
But we've also got a big insurance business in Scottish Widows, um, and we've got about 65,000 employees in the UK, biggest mortgage lender, and we offer all sorts of financial services and a very customer-centric business. Um, I've, I've been now 14 years in various of the, the different parts of the group and I love it. Yeah, it's a great place to work, great place you know, to, to have as a, a customer provision of service. And banking's a very challenging market space right now, obviously with COVID and having to help our customers through some very tough times. I mean, in general, in UK, a banking system very different from the one in uh, US or Canada. I mean, US and Canada are so different anyway. Like Canada, we have only like five banks, basically. Yeah, it's a bit of a mix, Sue, to be honest. We, we have a number of large, well-known brands in the UK, but we've also got a big a building society um, business that are still owned by uh, the members. And of course, we've got fintechs, financial technology challenger um, banks coming in over the last five or so years. So it's it's quite a crowded marketplace, but you know, we all try and compete, you know, ultimately delivering for the customer. Um, huge investments going on right now in technology, and that's great for us in sourcing, procurement, supply chain, loads of you know, new uh, technologies, new ways of working that we're contemplating. So, yeah, it's an exciting time, uh, I think, in global financial services. Exactly. The fintech and a lot of technology coming in. So I actually wanted to dig deeper a little bit on the supply chain and procurement you just mentioned. Uh, because you guys don't produce anything, right? So how yeah. uh, can you explain, like, uh, what is the difference about supply chain and procurement within the financial services compared to manufacturing? Yes, yeah, so I spent 14 years in manufacturing um, in my early part of the career. Firstly, there's no part numbers in, in banking and financial services. My life evolved around part numbers. I guess also the pace is, is different. In manufacturing, you, you truly live in a 24-7 world where everything can be urgent. So you have to prioritize uh, relentlessly. And every day is extremely different. You're constantly dealing with fluctuations in demand, provisions of supply, quality issues, line stops, um, whereas in, in banking and financial services, we deal in more indirect. Mm-hmm. So you get a little bit more time to be thoughtful and, and think things through. I guess one of the other key differences is that in manufacturing, companies have effectively entirely outsourced their end-to-end um, you know, activity and, and even the R&D sometimes through to customer fulfillment and sustainable returns. So in essence, you've got supply chains competing. Um, financial services is, is not as mature as that yet. We, we are relying more and more on our supply base, hence, as we'll touch on, no doubt, about the, the risk of that. Um, but I've loved both. I think one of the things that has been really helpful to me in my career is spending time in manufacturing first, because the shock of that and the scale of it and the complexity and the pace versus coming into indirects. Um, and typically in manufacturing, indirects is not as an attractive area to work as directs, because it's, it's not as jazzy or as fast-paced. So it's a great breeding ground. But when you get into indirects, you get into all sorts of you know, exciting, innovative customer proposition, you know, design elements. And, and we partner with many well-known brands to construct customer solutions, as well as we have extremely complicated supply chains uh, that you know, may, maybe people don't fully grasp or understand. So I thoroughly you know, recommend to colleagues out there thinking about a move from directs, indirects, manufacturing to financial services, or the other way around, uh, or into other uh, areas like automotive, pharma, um, just, you know, mix it up because I think it really helps you, you know, move on in your career. It sounds like actually the role of procurement uh, in the financial services, uh, even though you're doing more indirect, actually it's more essential to the company because without you guys, actually company doesn't run. It's actually really helping them to do everything. It's not about the manufacturing, but it's about basically day-to-day all operation. 
So makes sense. So let's yeah. talk about the risk. Um, I know that you're the biggest uh, proponent advocate about this supplier risk topic. It's your one of your top priority, right? Um, so tell me a little bit more about the uh, risk from the also banking perspective. I mean, generally think about the banks and uh, financial services, super conservative, um, they have to be and very regulated. So that kind of goes well together with the risk topic. Is that the yeah. nature of uh, industry uh, force you to be more risk uh, reversed or risk um, uh, aware? What is that uh, makes you think of risk is such an important topic? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great question. And I, I was reflecting on my career where the word risk probably wasn't used as much in my formative years, but the, the same issues actually were there. So, you know, I think about risk in a holistic sense about the risk of not getting the right pricing or total cost of ownership in the contract you laid, the mm -hmm. risk of not choosing the right suppliers that are going to give you innovation and competitive disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And then there's the inherent risk in your supply chain design in terms of security of supply and so on. I think what's really interesting in financial services is the degree to which banks have gone from worrying about somebody walking into a branch with a, a balaclava on and a, and a gun to much more um, cyber intrusion and accessing not just directly through our firewalls and protections, but also through increasingly sophisticated supply chain driven ransomware attacks. And, and the bad actors out there uh, range from individuals to you know potential state sponsorship. And, and what they want is your data. Mm. Um, they want to disrupt your service and hold you to account to switch it back on. So we're very thoughtful about establishing the right culture. So technology can really help. Um, but unless you've got the right culture of understanding that risk you know, constantly evolves, um, that your partners out there in the supply chain who are subject to that risk can also be part of the solution. So we deploy both technology and, I guess, education to ensure everybody is aware. And I think any CPO or indeed any procurement sourcing supply chain professional should always be thinking about the inherent risk in the situations they face and, and what can they do in terms of controls to make the residual risk you know, less. Uh, and that's a real skill in the profession today that's been, you know, increasingly valued. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, uh, we trust the bank and we give all our money. So make sure. Take care. Very true. <laughs> yeah, and plus your data, Sue, right? You give us a lot of data. Yeah. Uh, not just your name and address, but all sorts of uh, medical history, for example, if, if you're looking for life insurance, mm -hmm. um, you know, your, your preferences in life. We, we guard that very carefully on your behalf. Um, and we take that uh, obligation extremely seriously, as you can imagine. Yeah. So you mentioned that technology. So let's uh, pivot a little bit now into more technology and digitalization. So I know you're actually a big fan of open ecosystem when it comes to the digital architecture. And then I remember last patch that you mentioned that uh, you chose SAP Ariba because of, because of that reason that uh, we have this open ecosystem concept. Um, so let's talk about that. So I want to hear your thoughts more about the concept of this new network economy that SAP is committed to build through our SAP business network. It, it comes back to all our private lives, right? We're interconnected. The, the ability for us to find each other on social media, you know, you can't put that genie back in the box. The information that's out there about you, again, uh, persists. And I think in the world of business, what you tend to find having worked in different disciplines and different companies, the world can be a very small place and it's interconnected by supply chains. And then these supply chains often the same suppliers exist, irrespective if you're buying for financial services, pharma, aeronautical engineering or whatever. 
And what, what I'm looking for as a CPO is, is the ability to leverage technology that joins all these dots that can drill into the seventh tier of my supply chain and predict an issue before anyone else you know, realizes it's emerging so we can you know, move faster and, and deliver competitive advantage. And the only way to do that is to collaborate. And I, I'm a real fan of what I call procure tech startups. There's loads of companies investing money to solve some of the age-old issues we've always faced in the profession. But you need a kind of a solid backbone. You, you need a level of, uh, I, I guess, embedded competence. And, and many of us uh, in this role have made various choices over the years of the brands available. You know, you, you guys are clearly one of them and you've been embedded with Lloyd's for quite a number of years. So what I'm keen is to work with you and other partners to grow the competence so that, you know, there, there's not an exclusivity, if you like, of good ideas that any company will have. So it's how can you plug into the best ideas to solve for, you know, depth of supply chain understanding? How do you map out your supply chain without a huge manual effort? How do we get 24-7 monitoring of the risk vectors around the world? How do we get a sense of, um, you know, from a market intelligence point of view, who's doing what deals with whom and, you know, what, what good value represents? So all the questions I get asked, benchmarking, how, how do we do that better? Um, how do we do risk assurance visits better instead of all of us turning up to the same company with a slightly different standard um, and so on? So I think the answer is in these ecosystems, very definitely. And I think that requires all of us to be a bit more open and accommodating to the concept. Yeah, exactly. Maybe just in case for people who never heard about what is a business network. I mean, I, I will explain to my kids uh, so they understand that oh, what does SAP do and like we've been building this enterprise building and each floor has a department of starting from R&D manufacturing maybe even to the marketing and R&D uh, the procurement and all in there we were so good in building this end-to-end building within now we want to actually connect all those buildings together and creating almost like intelligent community and that that's where we collaborate and creating this backbone right so we want to open it up so that other people can create maybe their community and connect to this community and so on and then yeah. we can actually leverage this network intelligence and insights to create the benchmark and help you to make a better decision so i mean I, i'm super excited about this uh, our vision and strategy and it's uh, it's like you said we all connected but digitally we are not yet connected so only way is that we need that kind of super highway backbone <laughs> <laughs> to start yeah and i think in this profession so whether you're in the upfront procurement purchasing sourcing uh, activity or you're in supplier management or the broader supply chain management even into planning um intelligence is, is critical you, you need to be joining the dots and and i think they've all been in a situation where we've looked at a forecast and it's it's never been right we know that so we build in safety stocks or we build in flexibility and if I think of the number of times I've had to push back orders or pull them in again, it's like the hokey-cokey. And if, if you sat down and joined it all up, you'd get a better outcome. So in, in one of my previous roles, I took on planning. Um, so we sat with a sales team and then we sat with a manufacturing team and I had planning and procurement and supply chain in the middle. Mm -hmm. And we did a much better job of mm -hmm. figuring out what we thought the bets we were placing on customer demand, whether that's seasonal or new product launches. And sitting then with the suppliers and the manufacturing engine, we got it right more often than we got it wrong. You didn't have excess materials or write-offs or shortages, um, which is always the bane of a, a kind of CPO's life. You, you know, you're always measured on one dynamic or the other. Right. And if you can get that in equilibrium, which is not often, let's be honest, but if you get the margin of error to be lower, then that's a good outcome for the business.
Yeah, that's it. Okay, so we'll keep thinking about also together, you know, as part of Think Tank, where we are working together, like creating this um, prioritized um, network services that we can provide so that helping all these companies. So um, I want to also touch upon your Ariba journey itself. And uh, last year when we talked at the Pet Chat, I remember you were in the middle of it. Now uh, you're almost finished. Tell me a little bit about your overall uh, Ariba digital transformation journey. Yeah, it's like everything. You know, for, for two years, we've been in the trenches, 18 months of that, roughly in a COVID environment. Uh, one of the most interesting things was the working assumption in all of these big deployments that you had to be co-located, mm -hmm. uh, that distributed agile wouldn't work. So we started off with labs. So we had colleagues from you know various companies, their SI partner, yourselves, various parts of my organization, our IT team, all in a lab, you know, Monday to Thursday. And then suddenly one day we couldn't turn up in the offices. So we, we had a, a massive replanning exercise. And mm -hmm. there were the kind of voices on my shoulder saying, you know, we're going to have to delay this because surely we need to be together. And then the other voices were saying, actually, we're managing to get through a lot of things that we otherwise thought weren't possible through a distributed agile homeworking model. So the biggest learning for me is how that can be done. We, we marginally slipped the agenda by weeks. But by all coming together and looking at the problem through a different perspective, we were still able to deploy the major drops. And, and as you know, these are commensurate with year ends. And you have to be very careful as you're, you know, in my case, having 70,000 customers who are going to see a different buying interface. So buying at Lloyd's Banking Group looks and feels very different to how it used to feel. And unless they were all appropriately trained on day one, you know, you can imagine the spike in unhappy, you know, clients I would have trying to navigate a new system. What if we ended up in a scenario where we couldn't pay our suppliers? So we had to take, you know, the usual challenging decisions. But I think the teamwork was, you know, commendable. And, and we've not yet had our celebratory night out. You know, we, we always like to celebrate the end of these deployments. So I've got an IOU um, waiting for me out there so we can all gather when it's safe to do so. I think the other sort of reflection for me is just the sheer number of people you need to be successful, both from a technology point of view perspective, but also from a business user perspective, because the technologists, you know, stare at the code and they understand the sequencing of how the system comes together and how it works. But the, the end user doesn't frankly care. They just want a simple flow whether that's the buyers or the supplier managers or the requisitioners in the business, they want it to be dead simple. And we managed to achieve a lot of that and, and always be cautious of the, the amount of process wrapper you put around the technology because mm -hmm. human nature is such that you want to build more than is necessary. So a reflection for me is, you know, less is more quite often um, and just keep it simple. Uh, mm -hmm. Work together, keep it simple. Love it. So uh, was there any special surprise that whether good or bad during the journey you want to point it out? Uh, I mean, the, if you had told me when I signed up to do this on quite an aggressive two-year program, you know, for a CPO, you don't often get to completely restack your end-to-end -end technology, mm -hmm. um, you know, from you know, how you contract to how you raise requisitions and POs to how you pay suppliers and how you build a supplier management engine within that. So for me, the, the big decisions we had to take when the dynamic completely changed of not being able to come together. You know, when you're at the go, no go decision meetings, mm -hmm. you're typically in a room, you can eyeball people, you can mm -hmm. see the sweat dripping from their brow, how their body language is, is working. It's not so easy to do that 
when you've got 20 odd faces on a screen. Yeah. So I think it really strengthened the trust and the culture of collaboration. You know, get the problems out early, don't leave it to the last minute. And I think by everybody coming together, we got really good outcomes mm-hmm. and uh, a successful deployment. Yeah. So uh, talking about bringing everybody together, your teams, I read on in one of your interviews, you talk about the, you bring your sourcing team together and have them talk about um, some technology breakthrough that uh, you know sourcing team actually is experiencing. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Any any most interesting story that you remember from your team? Yeah, but one of the things we do in, in Lloyd is really encourage an innovative mindset within our, our sourcing community, and we, we do that by encouraging colleagues to tell their stories and reward them and you know take them forward for external recognition. So maybe two examples. One of my team members really pushed hard on deepening the fourth and fifth tier supply chain visibility, mm-hmm. and they recently you know won a Chartered Institute of Purchasing and Supply Award for the the fourth party work. Um, they get loads of follow-up and feedback and professional recognition. And that, that was fantastic. So that's innovation within the profession. Mm-hmm. And then there's another story about a, a colleague who discovered, you know, a supplier who was innovating in the home insurance product market. And they brought them into the business. They worked work together with them. We've successfully deployed a proposition. And, and often in sourcing procurement, you know, buyers, supplier managers don't think about the influence the customer but often there are many suppliers out there that if you find them early enough, if you can partner with them, build a trusting culture, they can actually help your business propel forward, whereas they might ultimately want to become a competitor. So it, it's been able to collaborate early on in the life cycle. And it's an innovative mindset. It, it's a cultural thing. And by rewarding it and giving people the chance, because these things take a longer burn. They're, they're not immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get your rewards back over time, undoubtedly. Yeah, that's amazing. You are actually saying that culture, the innovative mindset. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So you know that I named this a podcast, uh, Industry Leaders Journey After Actually Heroes Journey, which is a very uh, archetype of a hero's uh, narrative. Um, so in that n- uh, narrative, there's three sections. Uh, it's departure to, towards a call to uh, adventure, and then initiative, which is uh, requiring a lot of actions, uh, challenges. And then ultimately you come back home, return home, uh, transform. So what do you think, uh, um, looking back your journey, it was a call to adventure for you in your career? I think to be honest, if, if, if I look at my career, I'm constantly on the journey and I'm constantly leaving home and I'm always coming back to tell the story. I, I think it's, it's speeding up the cycle. Mm-hmm. You don't go on one heroic journey, if you like to, to use that analogy. You're constantly learning. And I, I still feel like a buyer fresh in the door the first day, you know, coming up 30 years in, in this career, I still have so much to learn. And I, I always encourage my team, my kids, everyone around me to learn, mm-hmm. always be reading, always talk to interesting people, run to the fire, take the challenges on. And if you do that, the, the journey keeps repeating mm-hmm. and you keep learning, you keep getting better. And one day you might put your feet up, retire and look back and then think, actually, I want to go again. Right. It does scare me that the career is going to come to an end, that I can put my feet on, my slippers on and put my feet up. Uh, I don't really want that. I want to keep learning and developing. And maybe one day I'll go back right. to being a buyer. You know, I'll just anonymously go and apply for a job and do a few deals again because uh, I know I'd love it. Right. Because inside me is that passion for problem solving, working with suppliers, you know, traveling, meeting interesting people, experiencing different cultures. And this profession gives you all of that. So to me, it, it's a regenerative journey. All right. 
Okay, so journey continues. <laughs> Um, so what do you think you can share as your gift at this stage in your life, uh, in your career? And like you mentioned, 30 years almost. Yes, uh, yeah, just about. <laughs> that, that's a great time. And then you are leading the biggest bank uh, in the UK. So it's a very significant uh, influence and the role you have. So what gift would you like to share? I got some great advice once from uh, one of my former um, managers and I was having one of these career chats with him as usual, you know, a bit frustrated with this and that. And he said, look, as long as you focus on something you have a passion for, you love it, and if you're good at it, then you're in the right job. And I think passion plus capability equals um, superhero status. You know, you, you can turbocharge yourself forward. And I think most of us in this career found it by accident. I think many people I meet came from different backgrounds. I came from an economics, business, marketing background, stumbled into it, you know, uh, at a, an early point. And I suddenly fell in love with doing the deal, meeting the business. Then I realized I'm actually pretty good at it. And you have to have the confidence in yourself. And if you can fuse these two things together, irrespective if it's soccer, golf, uh, legal profession, being a doctor, whatever, if you love something and you're good at it, it'll work out. If you're good at something, but you hate it, it'll not work. If you love it and you're bad at it, it'll not work. It becomes a hobby. If you can fuse these two together, um, and if you understand that, then you can do great things. I totally agree with you. Yeah, it's so true. Because I used to be really good in programming. <laughs> but I switched it. <laughs> you you so, switched it. Yeah, I want to have a little bit more fun, you know, while I'm good at something. <laughs> there you go. Right. Okay, let's finish this sentence. I am optimistic, dot, dot, dot. Um, I'm optimistic in humanity. I, I think what I've experienced in the last 12 to 18 months with my neighbors, my family, my work colleagues, my you know, business clients, my suppliers, has just given me hope that we can face into the, the big challenges in the world. So whether they be environmental, um, whether they be around diversity, whether they be closing you know, the income gap, all of these things I think we can achieve if we just work together and collaborate. And that's key in, in this profession to be successful. You need win-win outcomes. Um, you know, I, I'd like to think in my career, I never walk away from a supplier relationship where it wasn't a positive outcome for both. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that belief in human nature coming together to solve some of the world's biggest problems, um, you know, has to be at the heart of, of the optimism. Because otherwise, yeah, we're going to go down a pretty dark alley. Yeah, I love win-win. That just gives me peace. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's essential. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your journey story. And this was wonderful. And I think we need to make this as an annual thing, you know, <laughs> keep the tradition. And uh, well, can I call it the Sue Chat? <laughs> Pat Chat, Sue Chat. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. All right. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Okay. Take care, Sue. Bye now. Life is a regenerative journey. Wow, thank you, George, for sharing this hashtag moment with us. This conversation gave me all the juice to regenerate my energy and passion for making more sustainable supply chain to make this world better. The journey continues. Join me again for the next one. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Industry Leaders Journey. This series is produced by the Industry Value Chain team at SAP, where we are committed to making the world run better and improving people's lives. For more information and to access all of our podcasts, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Reba.com.